there's a universal currency that we all pay, mm -hmm. and it is time. And uh, we are granted X amount. We have no idea how much sand is in our hourglass. We don't have know how much is left. Um, but what we know is everything is paid in time. That was Burt White, Chief Investment Officer for LPL Financial. And when he talks about time being the universal currency, he backs it up with the innovations and new technologies that LPL is deploying for their 16,000 plus advisors. Bert covered a lot of ground as he shared his views on convenience as the great new service, mobile payments, and return on experience. All this at the T3 2020 Advisor Conference. Welcome, everyone, to the wonderful world of wealth tech here on the WM Today podcast from Ezra Group. I'm your host, Craig Iskowitz, and I'm the founder and CEO of Ezra Group, a consulting and research firm that helps wealth management companies make better technology and business decisions. Last week, I attended the T3 Advisor Conference in beautiful San Diego. I not only got a run-in along the marina... But uh, back at the conference, I listened to some fantastic speakers, attended a bunch of educational sessions, saw too many product demos, heard some groundbreaking announcements, and recorded a lot of interviews for our podcast. 24 interviews, in fact, which is more than we've ever done at any one live event. So many that we have to split them up into three podcast episodes. So this is the first episode, one of three. And as you heard at the beginning, we've got Burt White here, but we also have a great cast of other guests including Eric Clark from Orion Advisor, Molly Weiss, Head of Product for InvestNet, Brandon Remby, Head of Product for Yodely, Nick Milliken and Andrew Smith-Lewis from Case, Brian Justice from Black Diamond, Robert Sophia from Snappy Kraken, and Linda Ding from Laserfish. It's a jam-packed show that I know you will enjoy, so let's get started. But I'll just give a quick overview of the very first guest here is Eric Clark, the CEO of Orion Advisor Tech. We're talking about one of the sessions that they had at the T3 Advisor Conference where they, they talked a lot about the design process. And I'm a bit of a design geek. I love looking at the uh, behind the scenes of how they build software. And on stage, they talked a little bit about the design process and how they, they built some of the new tools and technologies that were launched at the T3 Conference for Orion Advisor. So let's take a listen. Yeah, the, the design process, you know, for us isn't just about having a nice user experience. It's about binding together that user experience with the engineering behind mm -hmm. the scenes and not being afraid to disrupt a well-known workflow. Like, for instance, you take uh, the model trading workflow. Historically, that's been assigning accounts to a model portfolio, mm -hmm. rebalancing that model, maybe before you meet with a client or on some type of a, a periodic calendared basis. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing that, what we've done is we've tipped that process upside down. We've said, okay, once an account is assigned to a model, we know what the tolerance parameters are. Let's rebalance every account every day, mm -hmm. simply surface the outliers mm -hmm. and make those actionable items ready for our advisors mm -hmm. right at their fingertips on the dashboard so they can click into it and take action where needed. The same thing is true uh, for tax loss harvesting opportunities. Mm -hmm. 
again, surfacing those actionable items. Here are the exact accounts. You know, maybe you have 82 accounts that have tax loss harvesting opportunities. And just putting that information right at the advisor's fingertips, instead of relying on the advisor to come in and do something, we're trying to proactively surface the actionable items for the advisors. Sure, that's less the advisors to think about and to try to just make a decision. The software tells them, here's the most important thing you should be working on. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Trying to surface those things that are top of mind Mm -hmm. and even within the firm, surfacing those things that are top of mind for the specific job uh, Mm -hmm. position that the individual has. So you're tracking every workflow that an advisor does in the system. Anything else you glean from that? Any other insights that you got from looking at millions of workflows? Yeah, we, we really did. In fact, a lot of it is... Uh, somewhat critical feedback on our own system. We realized that uh, some things that we thought were important, we made way too difficult for our advisors to execute. And instead of taking six clicks to get to something, we needed to make that information available to them Mm -hmm. right at the dashboard so that they could then take action on it. You take something as simple as an RMD calculation, you know, whether or not a client is on target to meet their RMD or not, Mm -hmm. we made that way too difficult for our advisors to get Mm -hmm. to. And now with these actionable dashboards, we're surfacing that information, letting the advisor have a proactive conversation with Mm -hmm. the client well in advance of your end to make sure that that RMD requirements being met. So the next question we pulled from my interview with Eric Clark was about their financial planning tool, which was Advisor, A-D-V-I-Z-R, which they purchased last year, and some of the things they've done with it since they purchased it, and some of the things we can be expecting, new stuff, coming out of their financial planning software arm this year. Where we have fallen short and what our advisors are telling us is that, hey, we need to be able to quarterback the estate process. Mm. So in the coming months, you'll see us roll out a version that an estate planning module that will allow our advisors to quarterback that estate process. And that's something that that we're really excited about. We have just over 25% of our firms have already adopted advisor and they're leveraging it as their planning technology, which we think is a real great marker of success, you know, really being eight months post acquisition. It's impressive because you, you have a big user base. So you get 25% of those on the platform is impressive. Yeah, we have over 500 firms now leveraging the advisor planning technology, either you know directly as planning and or the client experience. It's, it's been wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and the team that we acquired at Advisor, we realized that they were doing things better than we were. We've mm-hmm. reshaped the entire way that we do our application development uh, as a result of that acquisition, really stepping back and saying, we need to... Uh, keep what's best Mm -hmm. across our organizations and move that forward. My next guests are from a company called Chaos, C-A-I-S, or Case. And it's Nick Milliken and Andrew Smith-Lewis. I asked them for the elevator pitch and then a quick overview of how the artificial intelligence that underlies Case's educational system works. So Case is an alternative investment platform that really services the independent wealth management channel exclusively. We've been around for about 10 years. We've raised uh, over $9 billion in um, assets so far um, across hedge funds, private equity. Nine billion? Nine billion, yeah, it's a big number. 
um, and you know, two billion of that came from last year. So we're really seeing an increase in adoption of alternatives within the independent wealth management channel. Um, and that's a that's a topic that we're trying to tackle with education as well. So, you know, we do have a broad range of strategies, both on the private and a little bit more liquid side. So, interval funds and things that are coming down the pike and gaining a lot of traction with our market. Um, but definitely, all things alternatives for the independent wealth management channel. It's all about the content. It's about getting the right content to the right individual, and that last mile of them trying to learn to really get that stuff into their head is left up to them. So with Case IQ, we're crossing that barrier, and we're using this system that helps individualize and personalize instruction and delivers great benefit to advisors in a very short amount of time. What I wanted to know about Case was more about their AI and how it works, and some of the research they've done in behavioral uh, psychology and how the brain works and interacts. So I thought Andrew Smith-Lewis's answer was pretty interesting here. And the interesting thing is there's a lot of research about how the brain encodes, stores, and retrieves information to build lasting knowledge. Mm -hmm. But this information has kind of been siloed and never applied broadly to education. So I've spent about two decades looking to take that information with some technology into the field, and now Case is applying that system for advisors. So if this is real AI. I didn't just put AI on the front to say that. No, this is real AI. So can you explain a little more how that works, what kind of data sets you're working with, and what, what uh, actionable intelligence it's surfacing for us? Sure. So the underlying system is called Serigo. That's the engine that powers Case IQ. And that system, uh, which I co-developed, um, has been used by over 6 million users. There's 14 independent uh, peer-reviewed studies on the system. It's used with everything from special force operators in the Army to Air Force pilots to employees at Target to a couple thousand universities around the world. It was backed by Bill and Melinda Gates early on to uh, help accessibility for at-risk and underserved students. So it's got a very, very wide footprint in the personalized learning space. And the algorithm, what it does is it figures out for each individual learner, what do they know, what do they not know? It uses an error-corrective adaptive controller, which is a fancy way of saying it kind of, when you're using the system, it can measure. When you're not using the system, it predicts. And then when you come back in, it sort of checks that prediction. So it kind of error-corrects and zooms in on what do you know versus what do I know? How fast do you learn? How fast do you forget? And it gives you just the information that you need at the right time. So stepping back, little and often is the magic recipe for retention, right? Mm -hmm. We all kind of do the opposite. We all like to cram for tests, which is just, right, but it's, which, which is a, maybe a way of hacking your way to a better score, but then what happens after that? It all disappears. It's gone, right? Which is not a great thing, right? So we believe that financial advisors should hang on to that knowledge long term. Mm -hmm. And so by using this little and often personalized algorithm, we can basically drip feed you the right content at the right time mm -hmm. to promote lasting retention. And with this thing, we've taken it out to the, the purveyors of continuing education credit, SEMA and CFP. They've blessed it. And so people who use this product are also, they're building their knowledge and they're getting credit at the same time for it, which is important for advisors. Next up on this jam-packed WM Today podcast from the T3 Advisor Conference, we have Molly Weiss and Brandon Remby from Investnet. So first I asked about uh, some of the new news they released at the conference was integrations with uh, a Salesforce overlay tool called Skyance. So Molly tells us about that. 
Yeah, you know, we're really excited about <clears throat> some of the integrations that we're doing into our proposal in particular. Um, we're really focused on the advisor experience, so we're thinking about how to make the advisor's day-to-day -day experience better. Um, we just recently announced an integration with Skyance, um, so allowing the advisor to be in Salesforce, to use the Skyance app, and then launch right into the proposal. And then we're also just helping the advisor think more holistically about their clients. So the integrations that we're doing with the exchanges, the insurance exchange, and the credit exchange is all part of enabling the advisor to provide more holistic advice to their clients. Investnet has uh, the largest number of advisors on their platform of any vendor. I think save Morningstar, which is uh, a close to both around 100,000 advisors on their platform. And when they improve their advisor experience, it has a big impact. So I asked uh, Molly and Brandon how some of the improvements that are coming from Investnet for the advisor experience this year. It's kind of along the spectrum of evolution of how uh, banks and, and uh, advisors are really looking at their clients and interacting with their clients. The trend, you know, three, four years ago was started to be able to produce these proactive alerts. So the, your client did something, there was a large deposit, and then you would alert the client that something happened. And then people just got inundated with alerts and inundated with, hey, here's the things that you're doing. But it didn't really produce better outcomes. It, it provided a little bit of insight, but, but not a lot of uh, great outcomes. So one of the things that we've really focused on on the Yodely side of things is this concept of hyper-personalization, which is data is only useful if it's meaningful to me. So how do I make that data meaningful to me? One is to make sure that you do, as Molly mentioned, have that holistic picture. So being able to not just look at their investment accounts, but look at their credit card spending, look at how their, you know, what loans, student loans do they have, their insurance, all of that, and be able to bring that data in, cleanse it, enrich it, normalize it, provide pure benchmarking is something we're very excited about. So I can see, hey, am I spending more on streaming services than people uh, with my similar income? And that sounds back awesome. That? that could be super helpful for advisors to show yeah. their, their clients. And, and, it, and it really elevates the value proposition of the advisor instead of just saying, hey, how should you be investing your money? It's how should you be budgeting? How should you be saving? How should you be paying down your debt? What is the next best action for the advisor to take given this hyper-personalized uh, overall view of the client's financial wellness? I wanted to know how the trend of hyper-personalization and AI was being leveraged by InvestNet to improve consumer experiences. You know, it, it is about integration. So it is about bringing the applications that the advisor might be using. Some of them are provided by InvestNet, but we realize that some of them are not. So we've, con we've continued to invest in our, what we call open ENV, but it's really our API strategy. And so allowing firms and advisors to bring together what, what used to be disconnected systems into a single application. And then it, it really literally is the advisor experience. We're rewriting our proposal workflow. It's one of the most heavily used applications on the platform. It's one of the key components of the advisor-investor exchange or interaction. Um, so we're re rewriting the workflow in a much more friendly user experience. It's more intuitive. We're thinking a lot about you know, the advisor, I think, ultimately wants to be able to tell this, a story to the client, right? It's not just about going through a proposal workflow and then getting an output that's a PDF that you show to the client, but it's really about sitting down with the client and being able to say, here was your financial plan, this is what I'm proposing, this is why. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking a lot about ways that our technology can help the client tell a story to their, to help the advisor tell a story to their client. And to add on to what Molly was saying, I, th I think not only are we trying to improve the advisor experience and the client experience, 
but we're doing that in an omni-channel environment. So we're trying to interact where and how the, the end client wants to interact, whether that's their desktop, whether it's their mobile phone, whether that's in an AI chatbot, all of those channels are things we're investing in and, and deploying for our clients today because it's one thing to have great information, but if you're not meeting the client where they want to interact, it, it, it goes to waste. This is one of my favorite parts uh, of the podcast where I get to talk about my favorite charity and my favorite sponsor, uh, Invest in Others, the Invest in Others Foundation. It's investinothers.org, and they recognize individuals, advisors, and firms that are making a difference by donating their time and money to causes that matter to them. This is an awesome charity, great foundation. I've been involved for a while. They raise money and give out to advisors who are doing incredible work not only in this country, all over the country, but overseas as well. And uh, I've been trying to donate as much as my time and efforts as I can. And we just did uh, judging. I just helped out with some judging uh, to help award some money. And there are some really great uh, charities that have been uh, given some uh, some funding. They call it Grants for Good. And some of the things, just to give you an idea of what these advisors are doing in the Grants for Good Awards is things like uh, donating, uh, helping uh, students with autism, helping uh, troubled kids, uh, low-income children uh, with food and with um, health care, with sports, uh, reaching out to uh, children or uh, helping uh, homeless children. There's so many different uh, options here and only a couple of them can win. It was really tough to decide, but we did. Uh, we had to do it. And we can only give out more if we get more support. So please go to investinothers.org and donate. Uh, your firm should be able to double it, uh, help you out. And it only goes to uh, provide benefits to all over the country and all over the world for what advisors are doing. And it's a really great way to give back. So please go and donate as much as you can. I would greatly appreciate it. And moving right along, next up, we have Brian Justice, VP of Business Development from SSNC Black Diamond. And I asked him to explain how SSNC Black Diamond is approaching the life cycle for prospects. So appreciate that. Great question. Uh, with the prospect life cycle, we might even call it the prospect journey. We really want that to start by giving the advisor the ability to get his brand out into the marketplace. So it starts with marketing and it starts with attracting that end investor and that household that that advisor is looking for. Um, once we can establish that in the marketplace, I think we wanna give the advisor the ability to use tools that can onboard clients much more efficiently. And what I mean by that is, you don't just get somebody's money because they like you today, mm -hmm. right? You gotta to prove to them that your value prop is worth it in the marketplace, a lot of competition amongst advisors. And you know, the ability for an advisor to see somebody's investable assets as a whole can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. So that part of the journey, being able to see the current portfolio of holdings, being able to do a proper analysis for risk or financial planning, and then being able to bring that client back to the value proposition that that advisory firm has, and hopefully make that connection. And then of course, from there, the typical onboarding, how do we get that new account open? How do we transfer those assets? How do we get you into our models or managed programs and you know be transparent with you over time from reports and mobility and whatever it is that an investor is looking for today. Indeed. So you mentioned uh, all investable assets. So you have 
connectivity to data aggregation vendors? Do you have a preferred one you use? I wouldn't say preferred, but we use Quovo. We use Bio Accounts. Uh, we've been using both of those for probably the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, probably 11 to 12% of our overall account volume at Black Diamond are through those services. And I would call those, you know, those, those held away accounts that an investor, their bank account, their 401k. My next question for Brian was a new product which they have launched called the Financial Life Hub, uh, looking to bring in a lot of data from different parts of the client's financial life and bringing it all to one place. I was pretty interested in uh, Brian's answer to this. Yeah, so it's a it, great segue from the aggregation piece there. So teed it up well, well thank you, appreciate Brian. that. I'm an expert <laughs> at segways. Thank you. So you have that data aggregation and you know that financial hub is just not the advisor's money that he or she is managing for that end investor or that household, right? There's a lot more that goes on. You know, there are mortgages, there are insurance products, there are 401ks and bank accounts, you know, number of possibilities and institutions. So the collection of that data, I think, is paramount. We do a really good job at Black Diamond of that. That's the core of our platform, data aggregation, performance, reconciliation, you know, being very accurate and, you know, that data integrity is important. So it starts there, but then that financial hub, so connecting the financial plan, connecting that risk analysis and giving the advisor and the investor the ability to talk about those things and how they affect the goals that that end investor household is trying to reach. It's not about performance. We just said that performance reporting is part of the picture, Mm -hmm. but not the whole pie anymore. And, you know, reaching an investor's goals is often, you know, not looking against the S&P every single day, right? So performance does matter, you would hope, right? Performance does matter. However, goals-based investing, I think, is very strong these days. And having that gamified experience through a financial life hub that Black Diamond can offer, you know, where, again, tying in the risk, tying in the planning, using budgeting tools, and just understanding, you know, an end investor's habits and how they might be helping or detracting them from reaching those investable goals. Moving right along, we now have Robert Sophia, CEO of uh, automated marketing firm Snappy Kraken. And they just did a study uh, on millions of data points that they gathered through their marketing automation platform, through all their clients, and came up with some really interesting observations about marketing best practices of the top performing advisors. Let's hear what Robert had to say. How advisors who are getting the top 25% of results are behaving differently online hmm. than the average advisors. So the top quartile, exactly. what do they do? Yep. And, and, and it's not just their behavior in general. Hmm. It's their activity. It's how invested they are. It's the amount of time they spend. Hmm. And so, for, for example, we really took the averages and compared them with the top 25% to make a profile. Hmm. What does the top 25% advisor look like? What does right. an average advisor look like? And just to give you some, a few of the key differences... Uh, for example, an average advisor will run six digital marketing campaigns mm-hmm. a year. The top 25% advisors are running three times that many. They're running oh. 18 campaigns a Digital year. marketing campaign. Exactly. So how do you define a digital marketing campaign? So when you think about a campaign, it's not just one single random act of marketing. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> random, uh, <laughs> don't do random acts of marketing. But, but that's what most do. Right. They just, oh, I'm going to send a tweet or I'm going to post this to social. I'm going to send this email. But it, it doesn't lead anywhere. It's not part of a journey. Mm-hmm. Campaign means you've got a subject, 
you're going to create all these top of funnel activities around that subject, drive traffic into a journey. Perhaps it starts with a landing page with opt-ins followed up by email nurturing sequences. So that's a campaign. It may have 30, 40, 50 elements all around one subject or one theme. Gotcha. Okay. And so uh, this is what our system empowers advisors. So we have 18 campaigns run by the top quartile of advisors. Versus six for the average. So that's one measure of why they're successful. You've got activity, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're doing more marketing. But there's other ways they're doing more marketing, too. Like, for example, the number of emails they send every month to their contact list. Average advisors are sending 1.6 emails per month. Mm -hmm. Top 25% advisors are sending 4.3 emails per month. So almost four times as much email. Average a little over one a week. Well, some advisors say, well, that's too much. My clients don't want that. My prospects don't want that. But that activity is actually yielding better results for them. So if you look at what the constant nurturing they're doing is leading to, Mm. it's actually a a multiplying effect because even though they may be running the same types of campaigns, Mm. the sheer volume leads to better performance of their individual campaigns. Mm. So what I mean by that is, the average advisors are generating only 6.8 leads per campaign, mm-hmm. whereas the top 25% are generating 15.8 leads per campaign. So they're wow. both running the same campaign, but based on the sheer volume of their activity, because they're keeping their list nurtured and warmer and they're more invested, the campaigns are performing better by more than double. So That's pretty good performance. Next up is Linda Ding. She's Director of Strategic Marketing for Laserfish, the document management and workflow company. And I asked Linda uh, something that I saw during her presentation where she had uh, a client, an RIA client from Shufro Rose, Vib Arya, their CTO, talking about the uh, workflows they built in Laserfish that connected to their CRM and how it helped the, the firm to grow. And I asked her the differences and why you would build workflows in Laserfish versus building them in your CRM. Talking about workflows, uh, you had one of your clients, Vib Arya mm-hmm. from Shufro Rose, uh, an RIA in Manhattan, talk about how they've implemented Laserfish. And one thing he mentioned, and there was a very good question from the audience about why you would build your workflows in Laserfish versus the CRM. Mm-hmm. So can you talk about why firms would do that, the pros and cons? For sure. I think uh, in our world, so while processing, whether it's a new accounts or any sort of uh, accounts maintenance activities, there's still a fair amount of legal documentations that need to get involved in the processes and the decision making. Mm-hmm. And the traditional CRMs are very good at handling databases. Mm-hmm. So what's called the metadata, right? Metadata. And in the rows and, uh, and the columns in the spreadsheet. Right. And uh, however, by law, we still need to process uh, the physical paperwork, mm-hmm. and uh, la- that's where Laserfish uh, comes to play, mm-hmm. right? In terms of uh, how to initiate the uh, data collection to mm-hmm. the approval, to the sign-off, mm-hmm. and then uh, finally having a compliance archival of the physical documents. So mm-hmm. that is uh, outside in parallel to all the workflow happening in CRM. Mm-hmm. That's why we're very good partners with a lot of the CRM applications right. out there. And financial planning and portfolio management and all the tools that RIAs would use. That's right. For if, any of the tools that require actual generation of uh, the documentations, we indeed. are there to catch all. And Laserfish has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. How long have you been in business? 32 years. Which is crazy for this industry, 
And that we're expanding. Yeah. In fact, our CEO just invested in a couple of uh, real estates and mm-hmm. uh, we are building more office space. Oh, nice. Where? Uh, it's right next to our existing building in Long Beach, California. Long Beach. Lovely. Wow. That sounds really nice. So uh, how many clients do you have now? In the wealth management, we have over 2,500. That wow. includes uh, both RAs and mm-hmm. the broker dealers and the institutional buyers. Right, because you, you work with both the individual RAs as well as enterprise firms. Yes, we have uh, individual RAs uh, with women's shop, mm-hmm. uh, a guy in Florida mm-hmm. in his 70s, and he's still sure. going strong into uh, institutional users with 2,500 RAs. And finally, the star of our show, Bert White, Managing Director of LPL. Just a few clips from my interview with him, and it was really just me uh, taking notes, uh, going through my notes from his presentation, which really just knocked everyone's socks off at the conference. Everyone was just amazed. He's such a dynamic speaker, has a lot of great uh, information to share. And the first clip here that I pulled from our our interview was about uh, how the great new service is actually convenience and what that means. Yeah, you, you know, when you think about sort of, I like to, to, to classify something called the four levels of want, you know, and like if you're coming out of the desert um, and you haven't had water in forever, um, all, you, all you want is availability of water. You, you're not going to mm-hmm. decide, you, you don't want, you don't really care about what brand there is. Uh, choice isn't sort of what you're looking for. The second level is choice. Um, and, and that ends up to be where kind of going back 30 years ago, this yeah. is where everybody competed, right? At one point in time, supermarkets only had 7,000 things on the, on the shelves. Now it's 50,000 things even, on the shelves. How do we survive back then? That's only a 7, lot of gluten-free choices. stuff, right? <laughs> uh, but the third level where everyone's competing now is mm-hmm. on service, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is sort of how you begin to compete for clients. But the new great service is all about convenience. And that's the fourth level, right? And and what people are beginning to realize is good service isn't good enough anymore. That what you really need to have is convenient service. Uh, things that just work, things that are usable, things that are simple, things that are intuitive. Um, and so this element of sort of uh, migrating from this element of service to convenience, I think is one of the real changes that advisors and not just advisors, any industry is gonna have to do. And, and that's what we're trying to do from our technology perspective is um, not just have uh, great technology, but to have technology and services that are convenient, that makes things simple and usable. And I was at your conference last August and saw some demos of some of the new stuff you're doing. It looks really good. I really liked how they were spending time to explain how you watched what the advisors were doing in their workflows and counted the number of clicks it took them to open an account, for example, and said, we got to fix that. Or even more, a lot of people do that. So that's not unusual. You were me- measuring how many screen scrolls they were doing how many, which I've never heard of anyone really looking at that closely. Because, but then I realized, yeah, I'm scrolling all the time. If you can cut that down, that would right. save a lot of effort. It, it's interesting because you start looking at things like uh, one of the things that we did is we got on the other side of the monitor from them and just looked at do they do their eyes go left first or right first? And mm-hmm. it's amazing how that uh, demonstrates sort of how we want to put nav bars. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things. Which we, way do they look? Uh, Left first. Most people, uh, most people first. read left to right, mm-hmm. which is where most nav bars are. Mm-hmm. But it's that level of validation you want to do. One of the things we've done here recently, which I thought was really neat, is we uh, went out to a bunch of advisors' office, uh, got there uh, before they did, 
walked in with them, and we were curious, what do they do before they finish their first cup of coffee? Mm -hmm. Because that element is the things that we want to be able to help with as you're driving that efficiency through. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's a lot of fun to focus on these workflows, these customer journeys to try to de deliver better services and technology. I really like that clip. My next question for Bert was about uh, ROI. Everyone knows what ROI is, return on investment. But uh, what Bert was talking about was you shouldn't be calculating so much uh, return on investment as return on experience or ROX. So how ROX is the new ROI. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been advisors, I think, and in, in industry in general has been so focused on uh, this return on investment. Um, you know, how you know, we'll invest in technology or new services or people and think about what kind of uh, return you get on that. But I think what people are beginning to realize is that if you invest in the experience, mm -hmm. um, the ROX, the ROX, experience. that's ROX. If you can invest in the experience, there is a massive uh, return on experience. McKinsey right. did a study and, and found that companies that really focus on this customer experience, uh, they have more deeper loyalty, more revenues, more sales. But on the other side, uh, because the experience is so much better, they have less breaks, uh, it's cheaper to serve, uh, and so forth, uh, less dislocation, more efficiencies. And so they end up having, uh, you know, 20% reductions in cost. And so therefore, you know, there's this massive sort of move towards this uh, ROX, this return mm -hmm. on experience, which is the new ROI. And, and, and I'm a big believer in it. And it sort of dovetails back to this convenience conversation we had. If you can deliver a great experience, um, People aren't going to leave you, um, and you can deliver exactly what they need. You can do so more efficiently. The example we gave was on on Starbucks. You know, Starbucks now because they've delivered such a great experience with their mobile and digital tools that about half of all of uh, their orders are done digitally. What does that mean? I don't need to have someone up there actually physically doing it, mm -hmm. which saves 12 hours per store per day, and that is real money when you add that up across thousands, thousands of, stores. of stores. Yeah. I really can't get enough Burt White. I could have done a whole podcast just of him. Uh, unfortunately, we were crushed from, for time. So I've only got a couple of clips here. This final clip and the, the last clip in this episode, uh, one of three of highlights from the T3 Advisor Conference, talking about how uh, a new way to measure the benefits of technology and T3 being a technology conference, looking for ways to measure benefits is always a good thing. And what Burt suggests is we measure it in human currency, and the most important human currency is time. So let's hear what Bert has to say about that. We joked about it before we got on uh, on air here that uh, you know we wouldn't talk about my midlife crisis, and it's a good midlife crisis. It's not a bad one. It's not like race cars and jumping out of planes, right? But it's about reflection. And what I'm beginning to realize is there's a universal currency that we all pay, mm -hmm. and it is time. And uh, we are granted X amount. We have no idea how much sand is in our hourglass. We don't have know how much is left. Um, but what we know is everything is paid in time. And, and, and my belief is that when you begin to think about the currency, the universal currency, it is human mm. currency measured in time. And, and so when you begin to think about anything, let alone technology benefits, um, it needs to be priced in time, not in dollars, not in terabytes, not in any of that. It's going to be priced in time, the time to learn it, uh, the, the time it saves for me and, and, you know, all that stuff. Right. It's all measured in time. And so my belief is that, that that element of human currency is the most important currency. And it's how we begin to measure how effective your technology really is. Right. Mm -hmm. Is it delivering uh, the savings of time? Um, the growth that you need and so forth is, uh, is, is, all, is all driven out of that one thing. It's all about how many laps around this uh, crazy fireball in the sky that you have that measures time. 
And that was, wow, the, the, the most clips I've ever put into a podcast. I got to tell you, 36 separate clips here, intros and guest clips and, and breaks. Uh, that was really a, a lot of work. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, one of three, our first of three highlight reels from the T3 Advisor Conference. We learned a lot, uh, a lot of great stuff that I really enjoyed, uh, especially from Eric Clark talking about some of the future plans they have for their financial planning tools. Really interesting, uh, the case company and their AI and how it's helping advisor education in alternative investments. Uh, really interested in that. Always like to hear what Brandon and Molly, the heads of product for uh, Yodely and Investnet altogether, are, are going to be telling us considering the, the major footprint that Investnet has. So that's always interesting to hear anything Molly and Brandon have to say. Uh, Brian Justice from SSNC Black Diamond, their financial life hub. Uh, good stuff there. Uh, Robert Sophia from Snappy Kraken. If you're an advisor, even if you're uh, running any business, this marketing advice is invaluable. I know I'm always uh, taking little bits, uh, snippets from the Snappy Kraken webinars for my own business. It applies anywhere. Uh, then Linda Ding from Laserfish, Client Workflows, and finishing up with the one and only Burt White uh, and some of his, what I call Burt-isms. Uh, great sharing that he did uh, at the conference. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast and please remember to uh, subscribe, leave five stars, blah, blah, blah. And just uh, keep listening. We really appreciate it. And I hope you had a great time. And this is Craig again. Before I sign off, my head of uh, digital content just gave me the high sign that I forgot to uh, remind you to subscribe on iTunes. And please leave us a comment. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment either on the blog at EzraGroupLLC.com or uh, at iTunes, or anywhere we're posting this on social media. Again, thanks for listening, and talk to you all next week.